0: I play the bagpipes. I, I, I aspire to maybe someday play the, the drums. In my pipe band, I have a lot of fellow pipers who have uh, dojo memberships. And, our, and my pipe band actually also a perk for being pipe major is that the pipe band pays for a Piper's Dojo uh, membership for the pipe major. I feel like we should have a similar thing for our lead snare. But where would I go? To get some kind of subscription to an education program for the lead snare in our pipe band. Where would I go if I myself wanted to be not just an aspiring drummer, but a drummer drummer?
1: Like a real drummer?
0: Yeah. I want to be a drummer boy,
1: but how?
2: I think that you've actually, uh, I think you've accidentally stumbled on a question that uh, we used to get quite a bit uh, here at the dojo where. Uh, we're doing lots of good things for pipers. Pipe bands are really interested in getting involved. However, um, there's drummers in their band as well. And if if you just buy someone, a, buy all your members a piping membership or something like that, it kind of leaves the drummers behind. So, you know, needless to say, we would get that a lot. And of course, we're very interested in pipe bands generally here. And I think we also think that, you know, snare drumming and bagpiping are If you follow the dojo methodology, I mean, really, it's all basically the same stuff. You know, it's just a different sort of medium that we're going to play on. And interestingly, when I first met Ed Best, who's our guest today, we started talking about just this sort of thing, and we started brainstorming ways that the way we teach could fit together. And the result was dojo-you snare drumming, which interestingly, you might be surprised to know, listening out there, has... we. And as a matter of fact, I'm surprised because I think time has really flown. We've already been doing this for about a year and a half, I think. You know, we've had Dojo U snare drumming side project going on with members working with Ed many times a week, and it's been pretty cool.
0: Having read through Finding Bagpipe Freedom so much recently, I feel like I can imagine how, I mean, you say it's essentially the same things. Am I being overly simplistic when I think to myself, like my brain starts going straight to those chapters that are about rhythmic accuracy, right? Is that
1: kind of like the core of what's the same?
2: Yeah, Ed, why don't you jump in on that oh, one? Absolutely.
1: It's exactly the same. As a matter of fact, when we do our drumming program, the phase one part of it, it's identical to what we do with the Pipers. There is no difference. The foundation, for example, we say we build a new house each week. It's exactly the same before we start adding on to it. So the rhythmic accuracy is super important from that foundation, but then the drummers do more subdivisions of the pipers out of necessity because we don't have the duration. But other than that, it's identical to what we do with the pipers.
2: And I think, Ed, that it's the rhythm of the pipe tune that everybody starts with, right? Correct. Uh, Phase one for the drummers is identical to
1: the yeah. pipe score. It's yeah, exactly I love the that. Same, exactly the same. And then it's funny how often when we go into the drum score the you know, the phase two version, which is the same rhythms plus a few more things, how often they line up exactly most of the way through. So there's a lot of the work is already done for the the framework of the drum score. If you've done your phase one foundation.
2: I like that a lot. And I mean, when you play a drum score, are you just, you're just mirroring, you're trying to do like as close to the exact same rhythm as the Pipers as you can all the time. That's the rule, right? No, no, it's not. The drum score goes off. It branches off in like uh, uh, wildly different directions. Like a drum score is there to sort of augment, complement, but you're not mirroring the rhythm of the pipe score. So, you know, from that bass where everybody's doing exactly the same thing, Ed, you, you have a score, a drum score of the week that we're doing that's, It's complementing the pipe tune of the week, but it goes off in a different direction. Can you speak to how the freedom ideas and layers are, you know, I think they're identical in spirit, but like the actual specifics are probably maybe slightly different? Exactly. So we
1: have the same, essentially the same groove all the way through the tune. But, you know, with the groove, you might play some of the notes and not others. But with the drumming, especially, we will play over top of the groove, and it will be related to, and a good way to put it is it enhances the tune, but it always comes back to the groove and come, goes away from it comes back. It would be very boring to just do the exact same thing as the Pipers all the way through. It wouldn't be very interesting musically. But as far as the Freedom Phases go, phase one, again, identical to Pipers. Phase two, same rhythms, plus a few augmented rhythms. But then in phase three, we start decorating, so we start adding on some buzz strokes and some bounce strokes, as opposed to just regular you know taps. But basically, you get some a little bit more texture to the tune, right? And then after that, we start adding in accents. As far as the drummers go, they have to read the roll abbreviations. So if you write in bunch of buzzes, it starts forming what will become a roll. But then you have to see what it looks like in phase four and phase five. We get to add all the embellishments and then play things up to tempo and I, a little bit closer to tempo anyway, and then expect it to smooth out a little bit as far as the way the buzzes overlap with each other. So it's a whole different level of play when you get to that part.
0: This is super cool. I'm still experiencing the revelation period, which maybe is a little bit longer for me because I went so long without realizing it, that about, about simplifying tunes, just that basic idea, right? I spent years, not only did I not think it was a good idea, I had some students every once in a while who would show up wanting to do it. And I'd be like, that's a bad idea. You know, then you have to learn the tune twice, you know. I didn't get it. And so having only fairly recently started to catch that vision, it puts me in the mind of yet another thing about my ignorance is that it was 2017 when I remember the first time ever having this experience. I believe at the time I was a pipe major and we were getting ready. We were getting a competition medley, probably an MSR. We're getting a, a, a an MSR ready, and I remember having this experience where as as I and the Pipers were playing our part, there was something magic between us and the snares where it suddenly went whoosh, mm-hmm. like It was just like, oh, that's what that's supposed to be like? And maybe it's on me for not paying attention, but there was something magic that happened that I think is actually what's supposed to be there all the time. <laughs> And yes. so as you describe this idea, it's blowing my mind, you know, and that's on me for being simple, right? And never even thinking about it at all, right? But to take the simplified pipe score, and that is the start for the drum score, it, that's, I mean, it makes so much sense. But I, it blows my mind to even think about it. Now that you describe it, yeah, that makes
1: so much sense. The drummers have discovered through the year and a half of doing this, the most important phase for them actually is phase two. Because that is yeah. the actual rhythm that we're going to be playing all the way through. Now we add some variations to it. Like I said, buzz strokes or bounce strokes as opposed to just tapping it. But those rhythms are the exact same rhythms throughout. So once they get phase two, it takes us the longest I guess, to get through phase two. But once mm-hmm. you get that, the other ones are relatively easy because you're just embellishing it. You're not learning anything brand new anymore. We also learned that sometimes in the same type of tune, Once you've learned, for example, the first line, the first four measures, how often do some of those themes repeat later on? Oh yeah. So the first line takes the longest to learn. And then after that, we say, hey, remember we did this down here? Let's just take a moment, one minute and recognize that. And then all of a sudden the rest of the tune goes way, uh, we get through it more quickly. If you've done the work properly, it doesn't take much longer to apply it somewhere else in the tune. And then that happens throughout the entire tune. And because the same theme, happen in the pipe too, so therefore similar themes will happen in the drum scores
2: yeah i love that idea and it really rings true to exactly the things we talk about in, in the piping all the time constantly uh you, i got this a lot <laughs> when i first got to know ed it's like oh wait a minute i think i think this is going to be pretty cool because mm-hmm. uh, of course that's definitely true and the other thing that's really cool about doing things in layers like this is if you take the finished and Ed, you could tell me if this is off base, but I don't think it is. Fun fact: off base was Ed, that a drummer Ed, joke? Ed, nice. Who was the second person to make it past phase four in the drumming program? That would have been you. Yeah, so I've done a little bit of drumming. He, he was very mad. He wasn't know. the
1: first. That's okay.
2: I, I know, but you know, I had good competition. And but to be fit, to be perfectly honest, phase five, I I pumped the brakes a little bit. I'm, I'm I need to. I'm gonna need some time to get through it. Uh, I think. But anyway, what that was just what was I even talking about? I got busy talking about I it. I think what we Yeah, I think what we were building toward
0: was just establishing that Andrew Douglas, not only greatest piper in the world, also greatest drummer in That's the it. world.
2: That was it. Yes. That's basically I just wanted to make sure everybody knows that. Okay, no, but what I was saying <laughs> is, and it's true with the pipe tunes as well. If you take a fully embellished pipe tune, right, with all the bells and whistles. What you have is something that's really kind of novel and unique and interesting and original, right? But then if you take things down a couple of layers and you do the simplified stuff. Okay. Now that might seem a little bit boring and maybe in some respects it even is a little bit boring. However, one of the amazing things about taking things down a couple levels. So in the piping, you know, taking things down to just the basic groove, basic melody and basic grace notes, just the basics. Oh, you know, and the basic melody notes, too. What you start to find is those building blocks are remarkably the same from tune to tune, from bar to bar. There's really not that much new, interesting stuff going on, mm-hmm. which at that level is a good thing. If I'm a beginner, I want to be working on stuff that I can apply to all the tunes I'm ever going to play in the future, mm-hmm. right? Which is one of the really cool things about working on a tune at the sort of not novel a unique level is because mm-hmm. you start to see how things mm-hmm. are all going to relate to each other. I mean, even a hornpipe and a jig are only different in like one primary respect, which is that the, the beats are divided in four parts instead of the beats being divided in three parts. And you see the light bulbs start to go off for students. And I'm certain the same is true in drum scores as well, right? It's like, oh, wait, like the building blocks of all these wild and crazy drum scores are all the same. Mm-hmm. And then you start to get good at it. Um, and you and to Ed's point, you start to build that capital, right? It's like we now we've done a whole bunch of work on the first line of this tune and it's taken a while, but now the second line only takes five minutes to learn because there's only some things that are slightly different. And then what you'll also find over time is, oh, you know, next April, you're going to look at a new tune and you're going to learn that tune like close to effortlessly because of that hard work you put in. On the simplified setting of the first part of this week's tune you know you really do that's how improvement is really made and then sorry i'm i'll just finish my thought by saying now compare that to what you or most people you know really do you get the new drum score right ed Mm -hmm. and you just start whacking away hoping for the best and the fully embellished score with all the rolls and the accents and the drags and the flams and all of the dynamics and you are trying to do it all at once Not only is that not going to work that great, but you're not going to get better in the process of studying that, that piece. And I think also, it starts
1: the process completely over every time you get one of those. So if it takes Mm -hmm. you a long time to learn a pipe tune, a drum score, because you have to get all these things, you don't have anything to build off of next time. So it takes you just as long. So by taking the extra time, the first time, like the first line or whatever, You can feel comfortable spending 20 minutes on one measure later on because you literally know everything else in the following line, except for that one little thing in measure two. So you can comfortably spend 20 minutes on it and not think twice about it because it's only one new thing to learn. And then you have the entire line learned. Something else we discovered is it doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing with these things. Some people can place certain measures right away up to phase five, for example, so they could either they go through the process, but then they're comfortable with it, and some take longer. So, even performing, you could say, okay, for this measure of the equivalent, I'm going to play this measure as a phase four measure, or this is a phase two measure. And it yes. blends it with the band very nicely. So, it doesn't mm. have to be all or nothing. People think it's like, I can't get all the flams in the entire tune that I can't play anything in phase five. I'm like, no, play everything you can. So, the, the way we say it is everything you're doing is correct like just not doing everything yet.
2: (laughs) Is that blasphemy in in some drum course? Because that doesn't seem to me to be what I've heard a lot of drumming teachers. They don't need to be named here today, but I I feel like a a lot of drumming minds I've met over the years might not share that opinion, that that it's okay to play a score that's slightly simplified in spots uh, for the good of the musical output of the group. Most, okay, so most, drum cores I've been around that are successful.
1: They may not say the word simplified because there's like a stigma to that. They say things that like hmm. simplified, watered down, dumbed down. They don't like that. But what they'll do is they'll write the tune to the players in the band they have today. So if they already know the strengths of their players, they don't have to go through that. I think that's where that kind of comes from. Yeah, so, interesting. So if I know, if I've been in the same drum corps for five years with all my guys, and I write the drum score that I know they can all play, it minimizes that kind of discussion, right? Because everybody has something they can't do, whether it's an individual or a band. And so I just don't take that in public. I just don't write it in the first place. Maybe behind the scenes where I'm um, working on it. Also, psychologically, I know I get it. I would rather write something simpler to begin with and then add on to it. Because psychologically, people think, ooh, I got it. I, I've arrived. He thinks I'm good. He's adding on to it. But if I write it too difficult for my drum corps, And then I have to take stuff out. They feel like they failed. And so that's Mm. a psychological battle you have to fight. Which in reality, they didn't fail. I did, because I wrote it too challenging for them. And then I have to do a whole mess to fix it. So I I get where the language comes from, but a lot of people do it. But they, if they're good at it, they start on the beginning end. And avoid things they know that they're bad at. Yeah. If that makes sense. So
2: there's probably pros and cons to that as well, right? But it's like, maybe you're... Maybe you're masking the fact that you've already simplified it ahead of time. Correct. Yeah.
1: Uh, correct. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. When I'm writing it. Oh, yeah. Well,
2: yes and no. Yeah. It's harder to mask in piping, isn't it, though? Because you have like your tune, Jim Tweedy, Sea Legs. It's published in all these books, and that's the People setting you're supposed it. to play. So you can't really hide it anymore. That oh, this is a simplified setting. But meanwhile, drum scores are often just written specifically for specific situations. Okay. So, you can come out with a unique composition each time.
1: Right. Nobody knows there used to be a flam there. They just know whether you play cleanly or not. Right. I guess the equivalent in piping might be picking a different tune. If you know that there's a bunch yeah. of stuff in Jim Tweedy Sea Legs that several of your guys can't do, maybe just don't pick this. You yeah. kind of play to the lowest common denominator. Yes. But the idea is you should be building up your lowest common denominator as high as possible yeah. in the background. Right.
2: One of the things I hate, or hate is a strong word. Okay, so ne- sorry, Re- uh, redact. Maybe bleep that out. One of the things I really don't like, or one of the things that I think really holds us back, is that in most, uh, maybe all pipe band things I can think of, the f- you start off with marches. For years and years, your band is supposed to play marches. But there's more to playing piping and drumming music than marches. And what I mean by that is, everything that you play is in you know two four time, or it's in this one e and a two e and a kind of swung, simple time groove, like maybe you play a three, four March, like maybe you you have a bar with three beats in it, but there's no jig grooves. There's no horn pipes. There's no round idioms for a really long time moving forward. So are we kind of boxing ourselves in and creating the monster that we then have to sort of like unravel further on down the road? I get that marches yeah. are traditional, but it's not really giving us a lot of exposure to the key rhythmic things that we're going to need moving on down the line.
0: Hmm. Do you think that yeah. might be like the seed that is planted that then grows into all of the problematic discussion about how do you do strong week, medium week with a strass later? Do you think that's part of it? Is that we spent such a long time focusing on just like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, that then anything else is...
2: Yeah, I definitely think that. I definitely think that it's like, because you're just looking at this one single slice of the rhythmic palette that you, that it, it definitely, it doesn't encourage you to understand what rhythm is really all about until like years down the road. It's like, oh, now we're in grade three mm-hmm. and it's the first time I've ever played a jig in a band. Which
1: brings an mm. interesting thing I've thought of it before. The difference between, this, you'll see how this is related in just a minute. The um, the difference between a pipe major, a band director, the music teacher, like the the band director, the pipe major says, we have XYZ event coming up. We all have to learn this tune for this event, right? So if there's a quick march medley competition coming up for your grade five band, the pipe major's job is to get those tunes ready for that event or whatever event. Whereas the music teacher tries should be trying to build you up as a musician. So I think in a lot of regards, I do that with my private students before I was with the dojo, is they would be sight reading through various types of tunes all the time as an individual. So when the situation arose, it wasn't the first crack at a strass babe or a jig mm-hmm. or a hornpipe. So I think mm-hmm. a lot of that does fall to the music teachers. I remember that came up at a pipe band association meeting one time. Somebody said, hey, we want to play more. And it was a valid discussion point. Hey, we want to play more types of tunes in our competitions. Why do we only have to play marches? And somebody said, nobody's stopping you from playing jig, right? You're allowed to play a jig, Mm -hmm. whether the pipe band association has said you're going to be competing with a jig at this upcoming event. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of that, I think falls to the individual and to the teachers to not just prepare you for the upcoming event, but to prepare you as a musician, as an individual for whatever might come after that event. So in the That's background, always building up that is. lower common denominator. I, yes, I feel exactly.
0: like I can imagine having been in this position so many times, basically forever since I, since starting piping, that it seems kind of like there's always something coming up. And it's often, I at least, you know, talking about me, I'm in like a normal band, right? I'm a normal person. I'm not, I'm like, <laughs> I'm not pro like you dudes, right? For a lot of us normies out there, what's coming up is usually either a lower grade level competition or a parade gig where we're mm-hmm. going to get the money for, to keep the band going. Mm-hmm. And so it seems, I, I feel like I can imagine, you know, everybody's running on like a shoestring budget with a skeleton crew. And so you've got a pipe major. And what the pipe major is thinking is, what's our next gig where we're going to mm-hmm. either make money or compete? And they're going to, and even if they have the best of intentions, they think, I want to help my pipers and drummers develop, you know, I want to do what I can, right? Even if the, that intention is there, the preference is always going to go to what's coming up. And we got to get ready for that. So if a pipe band can find a solid person to be there, like music director or like music instructor, then you can have somebody else who is with as much commitment going, and this week we're going to look at. You know, something totally different, you know, just for sake of looking at it, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I never did this before. But if I was in charge of a pipe band today, I I think I would use the tune of the week in my pipe band. And by the way, it could be cool just if your band was on the dojo program. You could just use the dojo tune of the week. We publish a new tune of the week every week. But, like, you know, for the group to get together and spend not like a long time, but maybe spend 20 minutes together at the beginning of practice, maybe just getting warmed up on things pertaining to the tune of the week. Just something new, something different, something fresh every week before we get into the rote material. Man, like I could just see that really paying off over the course of a season or two, just getting people exposure to those new situations. And because then, you know, suddenly you got your E doubling in this new tune and you have your aha moment, or maybe you have your some sort of drumming rudiment in a different tune mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, wait, I get it now. Mm-hmm. And then that's going to benefit the band in a whole bunch of different ways. Yeah, variance. I've, I've, for us, it's the, it's the concept of, you know, using as much variance as reasonably possible because variance is what really amplifies the speed and rate and quality of learning, I think.
1: In a previous life, I was a school band director and a very common thing for warm-ups was a bit of sight reading. So same type of of concept, they'd have some rhythmic exercises, some scales, and then maybe just one small little passage of sight reading, something they've never seen before, pass it out, play through a couple of times, and pull it back in. And the first couple always went horribly. So you have to make sure everybody's um, ego is in check, make sure everybody has the right attitude. But then when you start doing it more often, the sight reading gets better and better. And you always, again, vary the material. Sometimes it's a little harder, a little easier different time signatures, different, you know, in that case, different keys, whatever, different key signatures. But that in and of itself improved the musicianship like crazy because when it was time to learn a new tune, guess what? It happens fast. We'd already done that type of work. So the next time we had a concert or whatever coming up, hey, time to learn a new thing, we'd already done the work on how to learn. So people forget is you have to learn how to learn a tune. So by practicing that on a regular basis, that's just gold for your band in general. If you ever do want to add a new, you know, a new tune to your parade repertoire, right. which is fine. That's a great, that's a good thing. If you practice that, make it part of your warm up just 10 minutes, five minutes of sight reading, maybe it's one passage, not even a whole tune. Here you go. Here's a simplified little passage. We're going to sight read this today. We're going to spend five minutes on it and just make it part of your warm up routine. And it's gold. It really is.
2: Yeah, it really is. It also reminds me, I think it's the same. You guys can tell me if you disagree. It reminds me of the age old question, how do I memorize faster? You know, it takes me forever to memorize this piece or this tune or this drum score or whatever. And like, I, I've always said, so I think about my own experience. I feel like by the time I have a tune that, that by the time I really understand it, by the time I'm really comfortable playing that tune. The memorization is already done, Mm. you know? And I think that comes from, like you said, Ed, I think it comes from learning how to learn, Mm -hmm. right? It comes from understanding the components of the tune, like not just going A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way to Z, right? But understanding how everything relates, you know, like understanding more of the Venn diagrams. It's wait, like there's a rhythm here. You know, there's grace notes here. By the way, the rhythm and the grace notes, they relate to the embellishments. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the notes that we're seeing here, they relate to like certain chord patterns that you might expect. And how the heck are you going to learn about chord patterns the way we typically approach bagpipe music? You know, it, it's going to require a little bit more creativity. Most bands just have that one guy that, that can write harmonies because <laughs> they used to play, you know, piano or something. But man, that would be something everybody could at least take a, a brief look at and so you start to realize like how all this stuff works. And then before you know it, you know, you can take a brand new tune and you could play it in public with less than, you know, an hour's worth of work, you know, and how you do it is by actually understanding what you're doing. And if I could take that a step further,
1: if you understand what's going on around you, you understand your part sheet? really know what you're doing. the most important thing is it's so much more fun it's yeah, so much more <laughs> fun to know what you're doing as opposed to guessing and hoping you don't get yelled at which yeah. i think several people listening may be in that position or have been in that position you play through whether piper drummer and then you stop and you look is anybody scowling at me right nobody's yelling at me i must have done okay but then they don't know if they can reproduce that so if you actually know what's going on, you just have a good, good run through in practice and you, you can enjoy yourself because that was, it's a, that is, I mean, that's, is that why we do this to be fair. For sure. Right. 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 Yeah. It's yeah. just so much more fun. Like I don't want to learn all that stuff. I just want to do it for fun. I'm like, it's more fun to know what mm. just happened.
2: Yes. Well, and even if you're wrong about, even if you're wrong about it. So Ed, what you're talking about here is intentionality, which I'm 100% with you, right? So you need to have an intention of the thing that you want, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have to go out there and you have to try to do that. What I found a lot when I was a kid coming up is that my my what my intention was actually kind of like really wrong <laughs> and super crappy. But it's important to have one first, right? So mm-hmm. oh, like my intention here is I'm going to play harmonies throughout the entire tune because harmonies are mm-hmm. awesome. Well, as it turns out, You don't want harmonies, perhaps, throughout the entire tune. That intention was wrong. However, I learned a lot in the process, Mm -hmm. right? I was wrong about something. I I, I now have a good informed adjustments I can make. And then throughout the whole process, you know, I I gather more experience about playing harmonies or, or, you know, I'm going to add in every single possible embellishment I possibly can into this tune. As it turns out, sometimes there's a lot that can be gained by leaving them out. But the important thing is that you start with the intention. I sometimes use the analogy of uh, golfing, right? And not all hole in ones are created equal. So let's say I'm standing at the tee box on a par three. Do you guys know anything about golf, Jim? You look lost. You hit yeah, the ball in That's the hole. okay. <laughs> okay, so Shame you got hooked. <laughs> I don't know something. Exactly. Okay. So like <laughs> yeah. you're standing on uh, you stand. By the way, I'm terrible golfer. <laughs> I love golf, but I'm terrible. But anyway, you stay. You stand on the tee box. And then you, now you visualize a shot in your mind. This is the thing that you intend to do. I'm gonna hit the ball. It's gonna go way up in the air. Okay, it's gonna land a few feet in front of the hole. And then with any luck, it'll trickle right into the hole, hole in one. That's my, that's what I'm looking for here. That's my intention. Right now, you actually hit the ball. Uh, So let's say you, let's say you actually do that. You hit the ball, it goes up in the air, lands on the green, right, right in front of the hole, trickles in, right? That's option number one. And the score you get for that hole is a one. That's a hole in one. Good for you. Now, the other way to get a hole in one is to hit the ball. It bounces off 18 trees that you didn't even notice were nearby, skips off the water, bounces off the side of a sand trap in the hole, smashes into the, the actual flag part of the flag. And by some miracle drops in the hole. You get the same score for both of those shots. Okay. But one of those shots is good. And one of those shots is bad regardless of the score that you get. So the power of intentionality is really important. You have to kind of have a clear idea what you're trying to achieve. How many people when, Ed, how many people, when they look at a fully embellished drum score, um, and they're trying to whack away at it at pretty close to full tempo, how many people have a clear idea what they're actually intending to do? It's like very rare, right? Like it takes a a master player to be able to do something like that, Mm -hmm. right? So like you actually don't have any intention to start with. Meanwhile, right? You peel back several layers of the onion, maybe with just a few basic rhythms and a few buzzes in there to start with. I'm not saying we're going to be there forever, but if you start with that, now you have a pretty clear intention of what's going on. It's, oh, I understand quarter notes, eighth notes, and some buzzes. Now I have a clear idea. Now we can go after it with intention, and then we can compare the result to what we intended to do, Absolutely. right? And that, that's what allows for learning, I think.
1: Oh, yeah. You um, reminded me when you said you're trying to throw all those extra embellishments in, all the extra harmonies. When I first started writing drum scores, I had a brain, would be essentially brainstorm every idea possible, and I wrote every one of them down. I didn't complete the brainstorming process, which was eliminating the bad ideas. Yeah, And so I put mm-hmm. everything in that I could think of. I remember a couple, The my favorite quote, and I will name drop here, but a very high level drummer looked at me after, he looked at my music and said, were you quite angry when you wrote this?
2: <laughs> <laughs> the very
1: thick Scottish act I was like, I, I, okay. But then yeah. to be fair, he also was very constructive and said, hey, why don't you try this and this and this? And then he was correct and then I, I learned from it. But yeah, so I, I know what you mean. I, my intention was to write the most complex, interesting drum score but it turned into white noise because it was so yes. busy. It was nothing to latch on to, right? So yes. I've learned how to hopefully gotten better at writing stuff that makes more sense musically, not just technically, and not just mm-hmm. showing off how many notes I could physically play in a set amount of time.
2: Exactly. It, it seems like
0: that's, I, I think it's kind of cool though, kind of beautiful just to hear both of you describing these experiences and think about how like, where I've seen it in my own playing as well, and just to think, this might be one of those situations where anybody learning any kind of music, the pendulum has to swing too far first, (laughs) right? (laughs) Before you know how to or realize that you can or ought to bring it back to center, right? Yes. You have to go through this phase of insanity for a little while.
1: (laughs) Yeah, was it to make an omelette, you got to break a few eggs? That's right, yeah. I broke a dozen,
2: yes. Yeah, many, (laughs) many, many. But I also think that, uh, I also think that we a lot of us put ourselves in posi- in in the position to not be able to recognize whether there's a pendulum there at all, right? Mm. And we put yeah. ourselves in these situations where it's like bagpiping is this thing, and you do this thing, and you just do as you're told, and that is bagpiping. Or and I suppose today in today's case too, this is drumming. This is what you do. Please just do this, and that is what you do. And then it's you're not putting people in the position to think things through and to actually understand what the different components of things are, what they're trying to do. And so, and then you just end up lost in the weeds, Mm -hmm. right? And that doesn't really serve anyone. The, you know, the good bands I've played with over the years, it's like all the individuals have that clear thing that they're clear on that what they want to do, right? And then they, you bring that to the band practice and then everyone, you know, everybody has their own Set of skills that that can be applied, right? It's not just like monkey see, monkey do mm-hmm. all the time.
1: One of the things I tell my student along those same lines is learning this tune, or or even more basic membership in the band, or learning a specific tune is not an actual goal. Right, your go—that's the outcome. That's the side effect of the goal. If you learn about quarter notes, eighth notes, seven-stroke rows, tarluas, whatever. And you could do those well. You could play any tune you want for any band you want for any reason you deem your newfound abilities worthy.
2: Period. Right. I love that it. That sounds yeah. like freedom, doesn't it? It sounds exactly like the first, like uh, the, the introduction of Finding Bagpipe What's Freedom. What's funny is imagine. I talked like this before
1: I met Andrew, which is why this kind of.
2: Yeah. Makes, you know. I mean, it's like, it makes perfect sense. The one we use in Bagpipe Freedom is when. It, it, well, it's the idea that what we're developing here is actually a technology, right? Mm-hmm. So you're developing a technology to be able to play music. And so if you're a drummer, you've got drumsticks and a drum. If you're a piper, you've got, you know, your bagpipe and or your practice chanter, right? That's a technology that we want to use. Now, a lot of pipers, when they first learn, they want to learn how to play Amazing Grace. Okay. But to Ed's point, Amazing Grace is not the goal. Mm-hmm. Amazing Grace is a really cool byproduct. Uh, of what you'll get when you actually develop the technology of being able to play music on your instrument. It's just like when you drive a car, right? Or when you get a telephone, like back, remember telephones before uh, cell phones? You used to want to have, you used to want to use the telephone so you could call your girlfriend, but the real power of the telephone is that you could call anyone you want anywhere in the world at any time and talk about anything you'd like You know, that's an incredible technology that, you know, it's cool. You can absolutely use it for playing Amazing Grace, but then the possibilities are truly infinite. However, to Ed's point, if your goal is only to ever play Amazing Grace, then you're going to miss the whole point.
0: It makes me think a little bit about how, and I feel like this progression happens probably with any musician in any genre of music that they're playing. Maybe in the early stages, you build up almost like a catalog of which songs you can play, you know. And then if development continues beyond that, eventually you reach this point where it's as a musician, maybe you'd ask a musician, which songs can you play? And they no longer have an answer for that because that's not really it anymore. It's more Mm -hmm. like you're doing music. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like I see it a lot in some friends who I have who both play and teach folk and bluegrass music. So I I get to be exposed to like early folk and bluegrass musicians have the standards that they've learned. Which of the standards have you learned so far? Well, I've learned this one. I've learned these three. I've learned these six, right? But then deeper into development, it's more like, well, I mean, to to you guys' point, it's like the two things, the amount of time spent doing music and the education about what are the building blocks come together to make it so it's like, you can just be here in a groove and go, I know what this groove is and get right into it and you can, be hearing a chord progression, and you have the knowledge to go, oh, that's 1, 4, 5, and we're in G, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you don't even have to think that way, right? Because you know what those building blocks are, and it becomes this other thing where it's not like, this is Amazing Grace, and this is exactly how I learned it, so I'm going to play it exactly that way. It's like, oh, this is where mm-hmm. we're going. I'll go along with you. Does
2: that mm-hmm. make sense? Does that resonate? Totally.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
2: That's exactly it.
0: But also, you I don't even have out. to know...
2: Yeah. You don't even have to know, by the way, if you're like a guitar player or or a drummer or anything, you don't have to know Amazing Grace to play it. Amazing Grace has a certain melody, but if you're playing chords to accompany it, like you'll probably be able to... Like, Amazing Grace isn't that hard, right? It's just the usual four chords. So mm-hmm. one or two listens through Amazing Grace and you're good. You'll be able to strum along or play the organ or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I remember I played a lot of drum kit when I was in high school, you know, and it's the same thing. Once you realize like, cause I remember I had buddies and all they wanted to do was play Rage Against the Machine. And I wasn't that into Rage Against the Machine, but they knew I could play drums. So they're like, will you please come jam with us? And I remember Trevor was like, it goes like this. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but because you understand four, four and you know, you know, some, a few different rock grooves or whatever, then you can just start bashing away. And it's like uh, 85% of the way there. And then you can refine it. Now, was I playing exactly what the drummer from Rage Against the Machine was playing? No. It wasn't, it wasn't just copying. It mm-hmm. was like, you know, you're just applying those sort of grooves. And and I think that's true. It's like the operating system versus apps, you know, once oh, you have yeah. a great operating yeah. system, right. You can develop any app for it. Right. You know, you can run, you can run your accounting software on and you know, on a Android or on a iPhone, right different operating systems, but they're able to perform the same things and they can run mm. the same types of software just by like sort of applying the concepts. Operating system is greater than the apps mm. that run on it, right? Because, because they're universal, they're universal runners of ideas.
0: That, I think that's a great metaphor. I mean, and and it feels to me too, like most of us, wh- however much we might learn about, um, what's going on inside of a computer, right? Of course, we're coming to computers in general first via apps, right? First, it's applications mm-hmm. and software, very you know, front-end, what we're interacting with. And then maybe we start to recognize little things that are common between one thing and another. And we start to learn about basic coding. And we go, oh, that's because it's this kind of an if-then statement in both of these applications. Then we're getting back into the building blocks, right? Yes. And it, and it, it does, it, I feel like... I've, I've had a lot of fun, Andrew, when every once in a while you've said something in, either in your book or in one of these interviews where like grace notes, for example, when you have brought up the potential prehistoric development of grace notes, how it would have started and where they go from, you know, from a simple G grace note to a doubling, et cetera. And feeling like I feel like I've started to have a sense for that after playing for 12 or 15 years. Right. Mm-hmm. But if someone had explained that to me in year two, it would have made sense in year two.
2: Right. Yeah. Or you might not have cared. Because I might not you didn't cared, quite get yes. it. <laughs> it's like when you try to explain to your child, you know, when you leave the water running after you fricking brush your teeth for no <laughs> reason <laughs> yeah. at all. Yeah. Yeah. I find that extremely annoying because believe it or not, water costs money. To get water into our home costs a little bit of money. And the kid's like, Dad, let's read a book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, Dad, what are you talking about? Mm. So even, so maybe you could explain it in year two, but it might not quite resonate. And I think that's part of it too. You know, it's just, it's always going to be a process. But I hear what you're saying, though, Jim, in the sense that, yeah, there is something about it that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and I'm just thinking it takes us a long time to organically discover the building blocks, whether that's the building blocks of melody or of rhythm or all of it together. So we'll discover it given enough hours and enough years of playing. We'll discover it. But having somebody like Ed to say, no, we're going to break this down to the building blocks so that you can recognize that these building blocks are here in line one and line three but they're also in this tune and in this tune, that accelerates the pace at which a student can find the building blocks in a huge way. I mean, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: left on one's own, one might not discover those building blocks in time to have done it in a single human life, you know? And Mm -hmm. so to have this combination of playing, but also having somebody like Ed to guide you through it and say, that's a block and that's a block and this is what they look like and here's how we use them, Mm -hmm. feels like exciting, you know? What a fast track to musical freedom
1: Uh, to to your point to the you have to be ready to hear it like you were saying you might not have been ready in year two so you have to as a teacher this is why not everybody can teach you have to balance it right so you have to say sometimes especially teaching a kid or somebody who's just getting started you kind of have to let them play and enjoy and to be fair with the drummer the first few lessons your these drumsticks are foreign objects in your hands i'm not Mm. teaching you much theory and much other stuff we're just getting you used to moving them, at all, right? I might say, hey, this is a quarter note. Let's try to hit it on the beat, but it doesn't sound good, doesn't look good. But let them have fun with it. I put them different beats in the background, right? not just a metronome. You like, you know, kind of have to let them just play and enjoy themselves. When they're ready, you start, and it might be right away. But some of the little kids are ready faster than you think. But you have to kind of find that balance, and you have to kind of read the room a little bit on that. But you're right; as soon as they're ready to um, put it in there, because again, they do have more fun when they know what they're doing, not just whacking away at the drum or twirling uh, away.
2: I know, yeah, Ed, you are pinpointing uh, grave weaknesses in, in my quality as a parent as well. <laughs> it's, it's very painful, right? It's, you know, because these things are so irritating to a grown-up. It's like, damn it, child, you need to learn to have manners at the table and all that <laughs> stuff. And it's like, oh, <laughs> goodness. That's obviously not it, right? It's obviously not it to just kind of be annoyed, you know, and I suppose music teaching, it's the same. It's like, oh, you haven't been practicing. You're a little jerk and you're not grateful. But of course it's like, ah, that's not what it is at all. Right. It's, it it needs to just, you need to probably just focus on fun and then, you know, focus on fun with just like tiny, tiny nudges here and there Mm -hmm. towards the things that, or or maybe away from the things that, you know, are going to be major pitfalls. Mm You know, but it's, a, but other than that, it should just be like having a ton of fun.
1: Totally. Well, hmm. back to parenting, my kid learned to put his clothes in the hamper because we played basketball. He would yeah. be getting ready for it. You, Take you your-
2: clever bastard, Ed. I, I, hate, say, that. I, hate, Ed I hate, hate that. I hate, I hate that. Coming in here the so now the he's the world. 13,
1: just, <laughs> he just takes his clothes and puts it right in. There's uh, Never clothes laying around because I made a game of it when he was like four.
2: That's obnoxious. So here we go.
0: I'm sitting here already thinking to myself, all this past students who I've failed, you know, had it, if yeah. I only could have taught like Ed, who I've just totally let him down. And now I find out if only I could be a dad like Ed too. Dag, never. <laughs> no know. wonder his last name is best.
2: That doesn't surprise me. And then Ed is well known for horrendously awful dad jokes Correct. throughout social media yes. as well. I don't I'm know good. if you know this. But <laughs> I uh, didn't know this.
0: It's
1: pretty bad. Yeah. One more reason to follow
2: Ed. But is it bad or do we just not are we just not ready to hear it yet? Could
1: be.
2: Should be great. (laughs) It's just operating on another level. This comedy as well. Yeah. All right. We're gonna do some laundry basketball here. And my kids (laughs) will be like, Dad, this is stupid. Please go away. and it won't work. Because you (laughs) have to be able to read the room, you know? Mm -hmm. You gotta somehow you gotta know this. Which by the way, that brings me to another thing and you were saying ed it's like some people are not necessarily great teachers and then that's like the that's like the huge catastrophe of it as well which is it seems to me like you're not supposed to teach until you're a master but Mm. then and then but then how do you learn about teaching like how do you learn about all the difficult parts and the Mm -hmm. building blocks and the components and how to break down etc like all the art of teaching so it's i feel like we might have that problem in the piping world too where you know, just because you're a great player does not mean you're a great teacher. And and that's a thing that you probably have to practice too. Like. like,
0: Not just learn how to learn. You got to have somebody teach you how to
1: teach, right?
2: Yeah. You know? Or something or learn you how to teach or something. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's a separate
1: something. skill, kind of like judging the separate skill, teaching the separate skill, playing the separate skill. Can they, Can somebody have all of them? Yes. Are they really? Yes, but they're still separate, right? Yeah. You know, Um. several students I've had, Either before or after other people. Again, no name dropping here, but basically, there's just
2: teachers. So who- oh, you're talking about Mike? Oh. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, him? Are t- you talking about Bill? Him. You're talking about Bill? All of them. All Dude. Mike and Bill. Okay. Mike, Bill bad. No, I'm just kidding. I see. Now the internet will read into that. I just made up two names, but people will be like, oh, they talk trash about Mike on the podcast. Okay, no, I'm sorry. I'm hey, Mike. Yeah. Andrew. Was talking about you.
1: Right. So, but they'll sit in a room with drummers. Or pipers, whatever, and they'll just play, like to put a piece of music on, and they'll just play through until everybody can jump in. Like they'll literally sit there and play it a hundred times over in an hour, and people will try to play along. And you know, maybe it works if you're already very experienced, but even then, you still have to have conversations and talk. I mean, grade one band practices. There's conversation. There's hey, I have a question on this. I mean, it's it's still sight reading, it's Still rehearsal, and basically anybody who doesn't catch on. You just didn't want to be a drummer anyway. You should leave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then here, and here's the real problem. Here's the real shape. Every once in a while, every once in a while, one person does catch on, right? That one exception to the rule does catch on and they will hold them up as the example instead of as the exception.
2: Yep. We right. talk about this all the time, Jim, don't we? Yeah. Right. This is the outlier. So outlier biased training programs. And then that guy, yes.
1: whoever was taught properly maybe wins a bunch of trophies and medals. Wow, that guy's awesome. Look, your teacher's awesome. i want to learn from you because you have a bunch of trophies without actually getting into their educational philosophy or yeah. teaching methods or personality at all. They just, they will. They'll do the same thing. They'll sit there and play the practice chant, drum pad. We'll just catch on. Just do the thing.
2: That's exactly right. And That's, just, that's exactly right. And what do all outliers have in common? it's by definition, they did not have to struggle like the average person. Correct. And, oh. and I never really had to struggle in, in the piping world, but I, I definitely feel like in other things I've struggled so hard and, and I think that I, so I can definitely relate. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? It's it's fascinating. You're bang on, Ed. Mm-hmm. You're exactly right. Are we You're all a good guy. I talked to, I'm try, I
0: am I know I'm going to know exactly who it was as soon as I stopped talking, but a friend who I was talking to had some experience in hockey as well, and they were talking about having brought in, like they were doing like a peewee league hockey thing, and they brought in like a like an NHL pro, like a really good hockey player, paid all the money, you know, did a fundraiser for it, just all, the, all this work to get him in there, and they had like this whole Saturday morning that was going to be like this great hockey player teaching the kids how to play. And they're like, "All right, what can you teach us?" And the hockey player like drops a puck on the ice, does a slap. A, what do you call it? A slap shot. All everything I know about hockey comes from Mighty Ducks. Just like everything I know about golf <laughs> comes from Happy Gilmore. So I, exactly, but he does. A so shot. I think
2: you're right. I think a slap shot is a thing.
0: And so he does the slap shot or whatever the thing was, and he goes, "That's how you do it." That was the guy's presentation. Like that was <laughs> that was it. You know, yeah. but that's the problem, right? This guy was probably an outlier, probably amazing, right? But because of that, never learned how to teach. So people are like, he's amazing. Let's get him to come teach. And he's like, I am amazing. I will come and teach. You know, here's how I do it.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah here's how you do it. You know? Just hit it really, really hard. Yeah. That's right. I, I think, but I also think, even if you're not like, let's say, the, some sort of magical outlier, what does tend to happen is you, what do they call it? Wittgenstein's la- uh, ladder, maybe? It's once you reach a certain point, you can throw out information that you used oh. early in the process. Yeah. Right? So you get your skills, you get your skills. And now I can play a stress bay easily, just sort of like intuitively I've built up those skills. So now I'm, I've sort of forgotten about, or I'm, I'm out of practice, just doing the absolute basics. Yeah,
1: so now when I try to that, teach,
2: right? yeah. When you try and teach a beginner, you honestly probably don't really remember or know. If you're not liar, maybe you never even really thought about it. But even if you're not, it's, you know, you're, you might not be in touch with mm-hmm. that. I find that to be true in a big way. So you, when you see, sometimes you see like a Piper who's been playing for six months and they call up, oh I, I almost dropped a name there. It doesn't really matter the name, but then you call up like, you know, just fill in whatever the best player in the world you can think of is, right? You call them up for Skype lessons. And it's like that differential there, it's, I'm not sure that's going to work. Mm-hmm. I think that person who just won the gold medal or the Glenfiddich or whatever it is, it's like for them to teach other high level players makes a ton of sense to me because you're like, hey, you know, maybe these slight nuances could be, you know, this is what I do with the slight nuances. And those players make sense. And then there's a certain type of teacher that's ideal for working with beginners, which by the way, I'm not necessarily saying I'm the best at that, you know, think I'm all right, but you know, I might not be the best at that, but it's because they really are in touch with that level of skill and they're really up close and personal. They're remembering what it's like. They're able to communicate to you and help you bridge the gap. I really don't think that you have to be an incredible piper or drummer to be an incredible teacher, especially mm-hmm. of beginners. Mm-hmm. I have a, I think I yeah. have an interesting
1: story about that. The first time I ever really taught somebody, I think I was a teenager. I was okay. I was like a grade two soloist. I was doing okay. Somebody said, hey, can you please teach my kid? Same type of thing. You won a bunch of medals. Can you please teach my kid? I'm like, I wasn't a teacher. I was just some kid. So if so you can hear this on the microphone, but let's do a five stroke roll. They're like, what the heck was that? You know, just a five stroke roll, like slap shot, right? And then I just do that. They didn't know what I was talking about. So I yeah. said, oh. I said, oh, I can do that. So little Good. by little, we, went, and we kind of did that with all the rudiments, all the rhythms, all the techniques. I kind of I learned very quickly that, that just showing them what they're going to work. So we broke mm-hmm. it down. Now, here's a, this is why I think it's interesting. They, they were doing great, but coming up, it was a couple months later. This is, this is a very short amount of time, just a couple months of me teaching this guy. I had my next solo competition and I went out there and I started and I was, as soon as I started, I knew I screwed up. I was so mad at myself because it was so horrendously slow. I was playing mm. way too slow, but I was smart enough not to speed up. I just like, okay, I'll maintain my tempo and I'll, I, I'm going to just dig in this and get as many dynamics as I can. So I'm thinking I've gone so slow. I could think ahead That, oh, that one flam coming up. I'm going to play that one extra quiet, that one role. I'm going to do a little, bring that one accent out, all that stuff. Right. And I finished the solo. I walked up to my, my teacher. And I apologize. and I've never done that. I walked up. I'm so sorry. I screwed that up. He goes, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Are you talking about? That was great that's probably the best you've ever played i'm like what are you talking mm-hmm. about that was terrible too <laughs> slow luckily somebody had recorded it to me because i understood my basics so much better because i had been going over it with my student everything felt slower to me oh, i thought i was yes. too slow i was at full full tempo like, I, now i you have the words i say i felt like i was in flash time right so to mm-hmm. me everything felt slow even though it was going full tempo so it's funny the better you understand your basics like that which to me i hadn't gone over my own basics in quite a long time so by showing my student all the basics that slowly and broken down my basics got better that was one of the times in my playing career my plane just shot up from me going back and reviewing my own basics by showing him so it was very yeah i won that competition by the way yes. yeah yes it was like again a like grade two solo whatever i was in grade one shortly after that but yeah I had no idea what was going to happen to me and I'm glad somebody had recorded it because that particular teacher, while he wasn't me, he was also honest. He wouldn't have just said, oh no, you're fine. If it wasn't, yeah, so it was very interesting to me how it just felt so different because it didn't feel frantic. It didn't feel too fast. It felt nice mm-hmm. and probably even too slow right. because I understood my basics that much better from just a couple months of doing that with that one student. So just... There's a lesson and there's somewhere you feel less frantic when you understand your basics better as you're going to play whatever yeah. your next step was, right?
0: Well, and it seems like then in in so many ways, like teaching was the best learning, you know. It was
1: like, oh, it was very good. yeah
2: Absolutely. Well, there you go. Why don't we uh wrap it up there? I mean, Ed, we're gonna have you back more often. And uh Please. I th- I think this is pretty cool. But uh yeah, for anyone interested you can go to pipersdojo.com and you can find interest, information about the drumming program there. And I think we have a seven-day free trial of the membership if you want to hop in with Ed and mm-hmm. whatever. And I think that'd be a cool thing. And uh, yeah, we'll continue to spread awareness about the program and what have you. So what are you, any final thoughts, Jim? Oh,
0: only ones that would launch us into a, a whole other <laughs> two or three hours of discussion. So
2: That's cool. Well, thanks, Ed, for doing that. Hey, and... Uh,
1: i'm assuming this whole thing is heavily edited afterwards
2: hey everybody andrew douglas here from the pipers dojo and i just want to say thanks so much for listening to today's iteration of the podcast if you enjoyed what you heard here today it would be super helpful to us and to a lot of bagpipers out there trying to find us if you could give us a top-notch review on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, particularly Apple, iTunes and Spotify and things like that, your review would be really, really helpful. So if you have a moment today, definitely go over there and help us out. Other than that, until we meet again on the podcast or somewhere else, thanks again for listening.